of Gaia and Sarah Save the World. Cheers! On this, this episode... <laughs> this episode is called... Wait, what did we call it? The Sexisode. The Sexisode. Um, this is about sex from the female perspective. And so to jump into that, we're going to do a price breakdown of what it cost to look hot. Yeah, to meet like male fantasy standards. Because I really think we need to bring attention to how ridiculous it is for what we are coming into contact with. Hair, foundation, powder, concealer, eyelashes, all of the colors I use for my look between two palettes. Not to mention skincare. <laughs> Moving down to the sexy robe, bra, underwear, um, and then let's talk about nails, laser hair removal. So, what we're trying to, you know, explain here is that to meet these standards of what men find attractive and sexually appealing, like this hot woman in full face, contoured makeup, hair done, nails done, hairless body, lingerie, always sexy. We didn't even talk about heels. Ugh. Heels can cost like anywhere from like forty to like two, three, four hundred dollars. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's where like our beauty standards are at for like what we person it's like it bleeds. Not to over mention the time you invest in trying to make your body look a certain way physically. I know. Like gym which I'm all about fitness, yeah. but gym memberships or, you know, liposuction, cool sculpting, all these different procedures yep. to, you know, get rid of fat that's seen as unacceptable. And also, like, for being, like, a woman over 25, like, we're also not supposed to show any signs of aging. Botox. So, like, <laughs> Botox, fillers, facials, microdermabrasion, chemical peels, like, it's absolutely ridiculous. So... We're going to add that up, but I already know that that's well over $1,000. Well over. Each. And that's just to be, to look what is considered hot to meet a guy for sex. And what exactly is this for? What's the benefit? I'm kind of over it. It's really unfair. And the benefit, what is the benefit? There isn't one. Okay. So let's switch out. Switch. That's better. Much better. <laughs> because of the unfair beauty standards impressed upon women, we're constantly on a mission to perfect ourselves mm -hmm. and to look a certain way. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but if we're only doing that to please men and doing it for the satisfaction of men, then there's something wrong with it. Yeah, and the thing is that... Um we are so brainwashed about it that a lot, I watch a lot of women speak out, talk about this, and they're like, I do this for me. I do this for, you know, because I want to look this way. But the, the hypothetical I like to, like, put out there in that situation is, I want you to imagine a world where men just disappear. Like, tomorrow. They disappear. They are all gone. Forever. It's just us women now. How many of you guys would still be doing full face makeup? How many of you guys be wearing lingerie? How many of you guys, you know, would be getting plastic surgery, things like that? I believe that the percentage of people or women that would continue doing it is very, 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 very small. 
but I think that a lot of times we convince ourselves, like, I like to be this, I want to do this, but it's also, like, how can you truly know what you want when we have been socialized from such an early age to be the most desirable thing, to catch a man and be validated by, like, their desire for us? The stories we are told about who women are, what women look like, how women behave in sexual scenarios or just romantic scenarios, almost all of those stories are written and told by men. And it's every story is centered around a man. Right. And it's like a woman, like, doing... This is the big thing I like to tell women is stop doing so much for him. Yeah. It's not that there's not anything wrong with trying to look sexy or doing something nice for your partner. But most of the time, you are doing so much, and if you take a step back and look at what is this person doing for you, they're usually not doing the same level. Right. Like, what we just did, the price breakdown of, like, how to look sexy. What are men showing up in? Where is their effort to bust their fucking balls to head-to-toe, every aspect of themselves look immaculate, be our fantasy, and then also, like, you know, where is, like, the almost, like, sexual training they're doing right. with themselves to make sure that they are centering our orgasms and our time? It's not happening. So, I kind of think that you look like a fool if you're doing so much for so little. Right. And that's not to say that there aren't rare men out there who yeah. are investing a lot, yeah. but... They are definitely in the minority. Yeah. And so if you have landed yourself one who really does match you on this, then that's great. Keep doing what you're doing. But the default setting for us should not be to go over the fucking top, waste our fucking money, our time, put our self-esteem on the line, be uncomfortable. Right. For what? What exactly are you doing it for? I think it's great to take really good care of yourself and to feel good about yourself and do things that make you look how you would like to look and, and, and feel really great. But you don't have to invest literally thousands of dollars into how you look in order to have great experiences in the bedroom. Exactly. Like, I mean, I feel like there's two different kinds of sex. There's, like, spiritually connecting sex and there's lustful sex, so they are kind of different. Totally. However, ladies, if you are fucking busy working your ass off like most of us are, why are you then going to stress yourself out to go meet a guy that you don't have usually a guarantee that it's going to be really beneficial for, like, the sexual experience? That you're going to be like, oh my god, well now, I know I've already showered today, but I need to go get in the shower and reshave my legs and my arms and my armpits and my vagina, like, everything. For what? Why are you doing it? It's not going to affect your sexual satisfaction. Feels the same if your legs are shaved or not. And, like, honestly, what are you doing it for? A guy who's got, like, fucking you know, a bunch of pubic hair and his ass is hairy, but you can't look that way because you're supposed to, like, put yourself on a pedestal for people that give you scraps? No. So that's part of what we're going to talk about. 
on part this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about all things sex. We're covering sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the episode is about understanding from the female perspective, not just the physical work that goes into being a woman who's sexually active, but the emotional and mental aspects of it as well that I don't think a lot of women are um, conscious of, and a lot of men have no idea about, because I don't think there's a lot of talks going on about the uneven standards or um, sexual satisfaction always needing to be mutual, like things like that. Right. So we're going to dive into that heavily. Yep. And also just health and well-being and how to kind of enjoy yourself and embrace yourself and not feel insecure and prioritize your fucking orgasm. You deserve it. Uh, pizza brought to you by Dea with tofurkey sausages. Mm-hmm. Everything's vegan. Delicious. It's fucking good. And of course our sponsor Guinness. Oh yeah. Uh, thanks Guinness for hooking us up again. You're so nice to us. Thank you so much. We love you. <laughs> like a subject that just isn't talked about period right or enough yeah I feel like especially amongst women like I feel like we should be talking to each other about this and it shouldn't be taboo shouldn't be embarrassing so you know I think we're excited or looking forward to kind of opening the doors for that conversation while eating pickles because I think, there, I mean, there's so much of, so many experiences that we've gone through that maybe if we were able to be, I don't know, I feel like I've always been really open, but it's been under this frame of mind that was like a lie to begin with. You and I have always been like, I felt like more on the progressive side of like sexual knowledge and stuff, but at the same time, we had like a fragment of the actual truth mm-hmm. and not really like a lot of people we could talk to or like a community of people speaking about what it's like to be a sexually active woman right in a world that doesn't really make room for that <laughs> I'm sorry, shame. shame okay um there's so much shame associated with being a woman whether it's just as simple as our anatomy to the natural way that a vagina functions like yep vaginas function so much differently than dicks but we don't it's like we don't grant them the space to be that yes um like a lot of people don't understand that like vaginas your vagina by the way is the inside of you yes not the outer labia like it's it's not that. It's the actual inside of you. Right. Um, vaginas naturally clean themselves. They maintain a certain pH, but they can be easily disrupted. There's normal discharge that comes out, but society creates so much stigma around just normal things that happen with right. having a vagina, but 
you shouldn't be ashamed of. It's fucking weird because like you get allergies and have a runny nose and no one's like, wow, you should be ashamed because your nose produces a fluid, right? Mm -hmm. But women are ashamed, taught to be ashamed of like natural fluids that their body produces. There was like a trend um, a couple years ago on Twitter. I don't know if you ever saw it. I hope to God you didn't because it's terrifying. Great. Um, it was where women were changing their underwear like three to five times a day so that they would have no discharge on their underwear and use it as like this bragging point to like be more appealing to men. men. Yes. Like that's like <laughs> hard to fathom. Yeah. I remember watching it like scrolling and being like girls would like be pulling down their underwear and showing that it was like nothing on it. And they were like all fresh and clean, not nasty for my man. And I was just like, you do realize that you have a vagina, right? It's supposed to be doing that's a good thing. It means you're healthy. There's nothing gross about having discharge. Your vagina naturally cleans itself and that's what happens. Yep. And there's nothing gross about it at all. Um, there's nothing wrong with how your anatomy looks either. I know. Like, oh my God, growing up, I was so self-conscious. Me too. Of you know, anyone seeing what I looked like because I don't know if it was like the books that we saw or just the way that like people speak so like derogatory about female mm -hmm. anatomy. They like, or we also see like Barbie, like looking vaginas. Yes. And, yeah, like, they're Barbied or literally a lot of times like photos are edited of, of models yes. and stuff and porn stars. Right, because it's less graphic. Yeah. They like clean it up and I'm like, no, just... Blah, don't do that. Yeah, like there's, because it makes people think that they look wrong. That's what I thought my whole life growing up because I would see like this like super small tucked, like just compact vagina or I guess I'm using vagina incorrectly because that's part of what we do in our society. Right. <laughs> um, like vulva and like labia, mm -hmm. and I would be like, that's not what mine looks like. Like mine is not super small and like all compact. Like that's just not what it looks like. And it made me so self-conscious, especially when I became sexually active. And I remember, like, the feeling I had in my chest when I, like, first took off my clothes and, like, let a guy see me. And it felt like I was going to throw up. Mm -hmm. And, I, like, I remember immediately, like, covering my face oh. when he took my underwear off. Because mm -hmm. that's how ashamed I was for him to simply see what I looked like. And there's nothing wrong with what I right. look like. It's all just being brainwashed. Right. Absolutely. But, you know, in a lot of sexual education that happens uh, in this country, you're, you're not taught things like that. That would be really helpful to know. A lot of schools teach abstinence and teach, like, not to, not to embrace your body, not to know your body, not, you know, what's okay for your body. And then it's like fear-mongering too. Like the only pictures you end up seeing of genitals are genitals that are infected with diseases. <laughs> yeah. And then so of course you're going to go online and be like, what am I, you know, what's sex, what's porn? Yes. Because you're not learning it in school in a like proper setting. Yeah, I mean if you if you were to even pull back the layers of shame, like think about when I personally was in middle school. <coughs> We're here. Um, it started. Now the show has started. <laughs> it didn't start before now. When I was in middle school, 
I was wearing like padded push-up bras when I was 13 years old. I did that too for years. Yeah, a padded bra, and Every I remember day. like yanking my boobs up constantly and yeah, like doing feeling like, the... like I have to go to the bathroom to re-yank my boobs. I used to walk down the halls like if I had like a low-cut tank, low-cut tank top on with my you know 32A push-up bra, I would be like, look and be like, does it look like I have cleavage? Like. I was so paranoid because all boys talked about was like girls with big tits over and right. over and over and over and it was like so prioritized that you see it in movies, you see it in stories, you see it in porn and as someone who is very petite and still have a 32A bra size, that was like I just felt like I could never be accepted Yeah, and I was constantly wearing uncomfortable push-up bras and it wasn't until this year. I'm 30. <laughs> I'm 30 that I was like, why am I putting on this super uncomfortable wired yes. push-up bra every single day? Like, so that my, when I wear a t-shirt, it has like the fake looking Like it creates circles. a round cup of it your doesn't even It like, doesn't even look like actual right. boobs. Right. Like, I just had this moment where I was like, you know what? Like my weight fluctuates. My breast size fluctuates with that. I'm totally fine with that. But why do I? Why am I walking around with a set standard for what chest size I'm supposed to be set by fucking men? I don't care. I have a smaller chest, and you know what? It's okay. Yeah. Over the past few years, I've completely stopped wearing underwire bras. I wear a sports bra or no bra. I don't care if my chest is flattened by a sports bra, like, I'm more comfortable in that, yeah. you know? Like, it's just, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. <laughs> and I remember the feeling, and I think this is something, like, a lot of women can talk about, like, of, I can't wait to get home so I can take this bra off. Yes. And, like, it's, like, the greatest feeling to unlatch the bra. Like, why do we even have to have that feeling in the first place? Yeah. Why are we actively making ourselves uncomfortable to please impossible standards that don't matter they don't matter they don't matter one of the best things i did this year was give up bras unless they're absolutely 100 percent needed for like some fashion related right. thing right like not wearing a bra now and i just there's just no fucking point i mean i guess it is a little different if you have bigger breasts because i you know with back yes. problems and stuff that's totally. something i can't relate to but I can see that. But feeling forced into this contraption that in for some people could be helpful and supportive. I can't I don't even know what that's like. No Either. idea. But um, you know, I can totally see how it's useful, but feeling like I have to wear that because it's what looks good on, you know, other women whose bodies are shaped differently than mine. It's stupid. It is stupid. And it's again, you know, like feeling ashamed because you don't look like someone else, feeling ashamed because you're taught to compare yourself to other people and you're taught that this is what, this one picture of attractiveness is what you have to try to embody. And there are so many young girls that get so caught up in that that they rush into getting like cosmetic surgery at like 18 years so, old. So when your body people. is still changing, when you're right. still developing your sense of who you are, you like, I mean, I'm not even against cosmetic surgery. I'm all for people doing Me whatever too. the hell they want, but I think that there's a large percentage of women that do it to just be more appealing to men. Well, and I think, I know lots of women do it for themselves, but I think even that is just 
built in from like decades yes. of societal pressure and this story that we're all told that we end up telling ourselves. So even if it's completely self-motivated, you are doing it for yourself. It's still a result of the world that we live in. Yes, exactly. How can you truly know what is you are doing just for your own satisfaction when you've never even lived in a world that would allow you to right. be natural without any criticism? Right. That's why it's like, I think there's some kind of, it's um, tough. there's some unconscious programming yes. involved. Um, but again, I don't care if you want to get cosmetic surgery, go for it. I won't judge you. Right. A hundred percent. It's just, it's very interesting to think about. And I think it's important to talk about the gray areas that we live in. And it's like, everybody kind of picks and chooses what they're going to embrace and yeah. say like, maybe that is what it is, but I don't care. Like exactly. it still feels important to me. Um, but you know, it's, it's totally okay to reject those things too and to embrace it. And you do not have to feel ashamed about yourself. Uh, you know, again, like with body hair, like we oh my are God. so ashamed of any body hair that we have where it's not supposed to be on a woman, which is fucked up. <laughs> like, like, okay, let's dive into the reality of that. Like a lot of men and women do not know that we grow hair in all of the, the same, same places. Yes, so yeah. like you wondering like, oh my god, I grow hair in, in this place and I don't think women are supposed to grow hair there. That is part of living in a patriarchy and misogyny, telling yeah. you that you are supposed to look a certain way instead of, you know what, we're both human beings. Human beings grow hair in specific places for protection. That's literally why we it's, have it. Yeah, it's part of misogyny. It's also part of consumerism and being taught that we yep. need hair removal products. We constantly need to improve or change some things because there's so much money to be made with right. constant change. Yes, our insecurity is extremely profitable. Um, so feeling like you have to remove all your body hair, waxing, lasering, razors, all of those things... Those are all huge individual industries based around removing hair that create a lot of waste and, you know, remove the hair that you don't want and keep the hair that you don't care about. Like, it's fine. <laughs> Seriously, like, I used to... Um, I used to be so self-conscious. Yeah. Like, I think I have dark hair, like, I am a hairy person, but I'm not. I'm just a normal person. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, I am part Turkish and I have very fair skin, so that means that my body hair was so dark, noticeable, coarse, and thick. I went to esthetician school and got laser certified, so I used to actually perform laser hair removal on people. So of course I did all of my own treatment. I've been treated head to toe. But before that, it was really noticeable. And there's so much shame associated with that. Like yeah. I would shave my legs in the morning and by nighttime you could see the little black dots and I'd be like, Oh my god, I don't want my boyfriend what to see know that I grow hair. What if they know that I'm a human being and that's actually what my body looks like? Oh no! It's devastating. But it was to me. I was like, oh my god. Like, the fear of, like, not being sexually desirable 24-7 is so mind-melting. Yes. Yeah. And, and what are we doing it for? Again, nothing. Nothing. Like, it's, it's just ridiculous. Sorry, I keep kicking you. <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> there's shame involved with just being sexually active. But yeah, there's there's shame involved with being a woman who has sexual desires, uh, who wants to be a sexual being, which 
guess what? We we all are to varying degrees. Yeah. Um, you know, you might be on the very far end of the spectrum and not be interested in sex at all, or you could be, you know, hypersexual and feel sexual a lot of the time. And all of that is totally fine, and none of that has to do with being something being wrong with you. Right, exactly. Like, like it's it's just so interesting to me that we live in such a hypersexual society where women are sexualized to death like you can't exist as a woman without a man looking at a photo video anything of you and automatically thinking of you in a sexual manner it's extremely paradoxical because we are supposed to look sexy and perfect our bodies and make sure we have a very low body fat percentage and no body hair no body hair but if, if we want sex or choose to have multiple sexual partners, slut. Yeah, and that's that's so funny. That's why you need to absolutely throw out the word slut and whore Get rid from of your vocabulary because it just makes you look ignorant. And if you're a woman using those terms, you are being misogynistic. And yes, women are also misogynistic. And it... It happens because you self-objectify. Yes. You are conditioned to think that these things are wrong and to judge others critically based on it. There is nothing wrong with fucking. There's nothing wrong with having a long history of fucking multiple people. It doesn't fucking matter. It's fine. The whole term body count is made to shame women specifically because men it doesn't matter how many people they've slept with. We just accept them regardless. Right. And I think it doesn't matter how many people anyone has slept yeah. with. I don't think that's even a question you necessarily have to ask your partner. The number I think, doesn't matter. Yeah, like the number itself doesn't matter at all. So there's no shame in a low number. There's no shame in a high number. There's no shame in a middle of the road number. And those are all different depending on what your perspective is. You know, I mean, obviously it matters knowing about your partner's health, but... Other than that, like, you don't, if they don't want to divulge that, they don't have to, like, you don't even know. The only way a number would be relevant is for, like, statistics involving STDs. And I don't think anybody needs to be, like, sitting there counting either. I think that's derived from shame. Yeah, like, it just, it doesn't matter. If you are a woman and you've had sex with many people, guess what? There's nothing wrong with you. And if you're a woman who's had sex with no one, guess what? There's also nothing wrong with you. Nothing at all. And you shouldn't be ashamed because you just need to be yourself and do things on your own terms. And on your own timeline, too. Exactly. There's no correct timeline. Like, it's all fine. (laughs) Like, especially with, okay, let's talk a little bit more about slut shaming because Mm -hmm. that's such a huge thing. Um, I dated someone terrible quite a while ago. Um, and midway through the relationship, he started slut shaming me for a period where I was single and yes, promiscuous, because that is my right to have that experience as a woman. And I don't feel ashamed of it. You shouldn't. Yeah. He literally used it against me. Like out of nowhere. And I was, and I remember saying, I don't understand how you could say this to me when you've had triple the amount of partners that I have. And I don't find that problematic. Your vagina will stretch out. Oh, oh, let's talk. Oh my God. It'll just expand. People actually think that the tightness of your vagina is related to how many sexual partners that you've had. It's not. It's not. (laughs) And that just shows how we're not 
correctly taught anything about female anatomy. Because I think it's so shameful to talk about that a lot of the way we learn about our anatomy is from what men are telling us, what porn is telling us, what you know, uh, middle school boys are telling us religious religious organizations. Yes. They literally teach false information. I actually witnessed it growing up in the South. Oh my gosh. I witnessed a woman telling 13 year old girls that the more sexual partners that you have, the darker your inner labia becomes because it's like withering away. (gasps) She was literally telling like girls that if you have darkness, which is totally normal, on your inner labia that it's, you know, this like shameful sign that you've had sex with too many partners. And I was like, I asked her, I was like, how do you feel comfortable telling people this when it's not true? And she's like, yes, it is. And it's what the Lord does to mark people. And I was <sighs> like, oh God, get me the fuck out of the cell. Oh my God. All of this false information is just um, circling around and it's making us feel terrible. It's making us have all these very strange misconceptions about like our own anatomy. Your vagina does not get any bigger with partners. It doesn't. Nope. The only thing that can change like the, I guess, tightness of your vagina is if you have a child like with a vaginal birth. And even then it can go completely right back. back to normal because that's what vaginas were intended to do. Yep. They literally stretch and go back to normal. Being a prude versus being a slut. Yes. If you only have a few partners or you choose to have no partners, you're a prude. That's unacceptable. You can't do that. You won't give it up. Like it's something to be given and something you're losing. But if you go to the other end of the spectrum and you have whatever somebody's idea of too many partners is you're a slut, you're a whore, you're called all these it's names. <laughs> By people that, men, who <laughs> are practicing double standards because yes. there are no standards for them. Right. But they get to pass judgment on us. It's absolutely twisted. It's just unacceptable. Um, there's also shame about masturbating. Yeah. Like as if women don't masturbate. Well, you know what's really funny is, okay, so my my mom is a liberal, and uh, she told me when I was 10 years old, because I'm one of those girls <laughs> who got my period when I was 10. Shit. Um, she had to talk with me about everything, you know, at that young age, because it was happening, and she straight up told me what masturbation is, and she's like, do not ever let anyone make you feel bad about doing it. You do it whenever you want, and it's fine. That's great. And I was like, ew, gross, mom. Ew. Ew. So gross. (laughs) And now I'm like, God, my mom was so fucking smart. That's so cool. Like, the first conversation I ever had about that, she immediately told me to not be ashamed. That's amazing. And I know that that is not the typical experience that girls have. And I always remembered that, like, as I was, like, sexually developing and feeling, like, feelings and stuff like that, I was like, oh, well, it's, I guess it's normal. It's normal. Like, there's such a a taboo about women don't masturbate. And this actually comes from years and years and, like, what is it, like, hundreds of years. Is it hundreds of years where they've been saying that, like, women aren't sexual creatures? Yes. Yeah, like, they think that, like, the only purpose that we exist is to birth children and that we don't have sexual feelings. To the point where women's sexual desires were diagnosed as a fucking disease. Yeah. For 
years. This decade. This only stopped in the 1950s. Goodbye. Women were diagnosed with something called hysteria and were taken to doctors where doctors masturbated them and gave them orgasms to make them calm down. Because their fucking husbands weren't doing it? Yeah. Like, because they, because people as a whole did not think that women had sexual desires. Right. So imagine being 20, 30 years old, not even knowing what your clit is, never masturbating, never having an orgasm. How crazy do you think you'd be acting? Yeah, you have hormones, you probably had kids, you know, that's affected your body too. Yeah. Like, uh, and then just to have no outlet for that, no knowledge, no acceptance. No, nothing from your husband because they the don't even view you as a sexual creature. And then you're going to a doctor. A doctor who's going, uh, I see that you've been irritable and moody. I don't know, maybe it's because you've never fucking come in your whole life. Here, let me give you an orgasm and write this down as your diagnosis. So like this is literally what we come from and it takes such a long period of time of change to completely like erase the backstory to this stuff that ended in the 50s just the 50s like so think about that that's like a preset of like female sexuality is that it didn't e they didn't even think it existed mm -hmm. um, or that it was a psychological disorder it was a disease and it's so funny because there's all these popular misconceptions that women aren't as sexual as men. Women don't think about sex as much as men, and that's actually completely, completely false. false. We think about it just as much as men, sometimes more. There's obvious difference between genders, but we are all human. Like, biologically, we're all pretty similar to each other. And to think that we're just, like, so separate and only men want to get laid like yeah it just it doesn't even make sense at this point in time but go back not even that long ago and it was unfathomable it's ridiculous because they've actually done studies and most women actually have the same desire of sex as men the difference is we aren't living in a society that welcomes that where we feel comfortable to act on it and that's why, like, men view women as, like, oh, they're, you know, she just doesn't want it as much. It's because she's a woman. No, it's because you don't understand anything about what it's like to be a woman having right. sex and how terrifying it can be to even be okay with yourself as a sexual being. You know what I think is a really good example of shame is the whole um, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky thing. So, to talk about two individuals who made... Probably a poor decision that they yeah. knew they were making, but they both mutually wanted to sleep with each other because they're both sexual beings who were attracted to each other. One of them has recovered. Obviously, he lost his presidency, but people don't talk about him. Like, he's still re respected. He's still very highly respected. Yeah. Monica Lewinsky, is, her name is still dropped in songs. She's still the butt of jokes. Yeah. She had to, like, completely delete herself from the internet for years. Because she acted on sexual desires that we all have. When she was, like, 22 or 23. Yeah. And and she's done a lot of great, like, she's come back and done some public speaking about it now. And it's, honestly, her story is so fascinating to hear it from her perspective. But just looking at the difference between how he was treated, what that journey looked like for him, versus 
what it looked like and still looks like for her. Yeah, she was basically like slut shamed out of existence. Yes. Because she per she participated in the same act that he did, but it's fine for him. He's just a man. She's a man. But she's a woman who also has sexual desires. And I think it's crazy that like men's sexual behavior is so easily excused. But ours isn't when ours is so repressed that we have like pent up energy inside like ready to fucking explode it's, because we don't have a comfortable outlet for it it's almost like men's sexual desires are seen as like this primal need that they primal have to fulfill in current society where right. we drive to walmart <laughs> and but that's crazy like oh it's excusable because why because is it because their genitals are external and that's that's what the book that we're reading yes. is talking about yeah because the, the way their anatomy is, is represented differently, so the psychology of it ends up manifesting itself differently. It's fucking weird. It's ridiculous. Like, there's just such a difference in how men are treated with their sexuality versus women. Like, literally everything caters to men's sexuality. Everything caters to their fantasy. Like, the way we sell products. Everything. Like, the way that girls are used in commercials, the way they're used in movies, music videos, everything. It's all usually objectification. It's all about highlighting, like, physical things that make men feel turned on. But, like, where is the story for what turns us on? Right. They always go, oh, men are such visual creatures. Well, you know what? We are, too. We are. And where are the men stepping up to create that amazing aesthetic for us? Like, we just talked about the price breakdown of, like, meeting beauty standards and, like, the makeup and the, the nails and the hair and the laundry. Where is the other side? Like, where are the guys spending that kind of money and busting their ass to be visually what we want. It doesn't exist. It doesn't. And they're not expected to do it. Like, like the avenues for them to do it aren't even the same. It's ridiculous. Like, it's, it's just sad because we are basically, like, busting our asses to try to be, like, the most desirable, sexy thing for men to give them their fantasies and stuff, but our fantasies don't even fucking matter. Nope. Or they only do if it, like, lines up with the guy's fantasy as oh, well. Oh, yeah, then it's great. It's ridiculous. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to spend all that money, get ready for hours, wear uncomfortable clothes, wear lingerie and heels and everything, unless you're fucking showing up in a suit. Like, do something equivalent or right. don't expect it from me. I'm right. going to show up in these fucking sweatpants, in this crop top. And you know what? That's fine. It's fine. This is a really dark, dark topic. Um, I actually have a graphic thing saved on my phone. It's like a pyramid explaining rape culture. Oh, good. Um, let's see. Okay, here it is. So, rape culture is this really bizarre normalized thing predominantly in the male community and we're living in it all the time yeah and it starts with like bottom you know less offensive things such as sexist attitudes rape jokes locker room talk stuff like that which is still disgusting cat calling um, cat calling unwanted sexual touch stalking 
And you know what's sad is every single one of these things, every like woman I've ever been friends with has experienced that. Every single person. Um, and then it kind of goes up, like it escalates, flashing and exposing unsolicited nude pics. Like how many times? I know many people who have gotten unsolicited pics and also several people I know who have been flashed in public. I have literally heard so many stories of girls I know talking about like driving, looking over and seeing a guy masturbating, looking at them. It's horrifying. Yep. You're like, they're just so disgusting. It moves up to groping, non-consensual photo or video, which is a huge thing that men partake in. They like literally make videos of you without even getting your consent, which thank God is now a huge criminal yes. offense and you all should go to fucking jail because you're disgusting. Um, revenge porn. Safe word violations. God, you remember that fucking website that was all dedicated to revenge porn? Yeah. That was the worst thing. Like, another way that we, like, men wonder why we're not comfortable having sex and why we can't get into it and, like, be our full sexual selves. These are the things that we have to worry about. We're like, on the defense all the time. <laughs> are you secretly filming us? Are you consensually filming us but then going to get mad when we break up and put it online? Put it on the fucking internet. <laughs> like... How, and then we're supposed to just, you know, be so laid back and, like, able to get into things sexually. We have worries that you can't even fathom because they're not a part of your reality. Right. Victim blaming and shaming, that's huge right now. Anytime a woman comes out and speaks about being sexually assaulted, raped, anything like that. What was she like wearing? That. Was she drinking? Was she alone? Was it, you know, after dark or was she at a bar where she shouldn't have been? Are you just doing this for attention? Is this because someone rejected you? Are you completely making this up? And like, this is to the point where literally in courts of law, the judges, judges are discussing a girl's fucking panties. Like, that yeah. is so fucked up. Like, do we understand, like, as a like general thing that rape is wrong? Yes. So if rape is wrong... If, even if I decide to take off all my clothes and walk down the street, guess what? Rape is still wrong. Yep. It doesn't make a difference what I'm wearing and what I'm not wearing. These are excuses that men fall back on to not be accountable for their behavior so that misogyny continues on for another generation. Correct. Um, contraceptive sabotage. This is fucked up. That's so dark. Like, I've heard of it before where, like, Guys take the condom off while they're having sex with you. Yep. And, like, just don't even let you know that they did that and therefore expose you to, like, STDs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Or, I don't know, get you pregnant. Yep. Um, oh, I guess that's what stealthing is. Um, molestation, drugging, and raping being at the top. And it starts at the bottom. It of, leads up to yes, it. and because so many of the minor trans uh, transgressions are normalized... It just, people get away with it and people get in this mindset of just accepting things that are truly unacceptable. And I feel like if you washed away the society we've grown up through and like created a clean slate without misogyny and somebody started catcalling another person, you would be like, what the fuck? Seriously. And I remember being catcalled when I was like 13. Yeah, and it's and they know that you're underage. They don't care. You know why? Because they see you as a collection of body parts for them to try to have sex with. Yes. It's disgusting. Like, 
I am so triggered now by even these micro things that when I'm catcalled, I completely flip the fuck out. Yeah. I can't take it anymore. I can't either. And people are like, oh, like that's just, that's part of men being men. No, that's part of men being men because we don't do anything about it and we just make excuses like boys will be boys. boys. That's why they act like that. It is. We're not holding them accountable for their dog shit behavior. It's really hard not to feel on the defense and on guard all the time. There's, like you said, like microtransgressions happening all the time. Like if I go out to a bar and my fiance walks away for five minutes and somebody starts talking to me, I no longer can entertain being even pleasant. Like, no. I'm just like, get the fuck away from me. That's exactly how I am now. And men talk about how women are acting like psychos. No, it's that we don't want your fucking advances. We would like to fucking exist without being bothered for the simple fact that we are women. Just go away. Go away. You don't have a reason to talk to me. It's like we never can escape the type of behavior no matter where we go. The second we step outside of our houses, it's happening. This is why you get your nails done. I miss that. I cook like this. Yeah, I do too. I I use them for everything. (laughs) Yeah, they're like impenetrable. Consent, honestly, is black and white. Yes means yes, and everything else means no. It needs to be an enthusiastic yes that was not coerced or through alcohol. Right. Hi. Hi. I consent to wanting beer. Since it's your sex episode, I brought you guys nut milk. Nut milk? Oh my gosh. An enthusiastic yes. Let's really talk about me falling out of this fucking chair. Um, let's talk about what that means and what it doesn't mean. Okay, you go. Um, you know, body language of somebody seeming really closed off and turning into themselves. Turning away from you, crossing their arms, closing their legs, not making eye contact. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's tough because... Maybe you're just like my partner is shy, but I don't care. Like, you have to talk to them. You have to. You can't just assume that they want to fuck you. And I feel like that's the problem with consent is there's just an assumption. Like, this person wants to have sex with me. So even though they look like this and they're not looking at me, they must still want to do it. They, they probably don't. Or maybe this person expressed sexual interest in you in the morning and now it's nighttime. This does not mean that you have permanent granted access to this person sexually. It means that they wanted to have sex with you at one point and it's not that point anymore. So you need to actually make sure that they do. A lot of times, this is how rape happens within relationships. Yes, someone being your partner, girlfriend, wife, fiance, whatever it is, uh, does not mean that you have unlimited access to their body. You never just you know, thrust your fucking dick into someone without making sure that they verbally look you in the eyes and say yes. And it's not coming from fear. It's not coming from being, you know, drunk or high. It's coming from them actually wanting it as well. Yes. So many guys think that you can't rape your partner because they've decided to be your partner. Becoming in a relationship, whether you're boyfriend, girlfriend, 
married, anything like that. It is not signing your body over to someone for the rest of eternity so that they can just do whatever the fuck they want with it on their own terms. That's rape. It's rape. If your partner is crying, it's rape. <laughs> if your partner has had so many drinks that they can barely stand up, but maybe they're like trying to take off your pants, but their eyes are rolling in the back of their head. If you fuck them, you raped them. That person is not consciously aware of what they're doing. It doesn't matter that they're drunk and trying to take off your pants. You need to have standards. Yep. You um, have to have standards. You have to have boundaries. It doesn't matter if you've slept with them before and this time they're very intoxicated. That's a no. Okay, so something I want to talk about is something called rape by fear. Something that I didn't know existed until it was explained to me. But this is basically where you are in a situation where you feel like if you say no or push the person off of you, that you're going to be in like physical danger. Yep. So you just comply and let them do what they're doing to you because you're protecting yourself. So there's just so many different layers to it. And I think that it's wrong that we view rape as the situation of like, Oh, like, unless they're slamming you down and ripping your clothes off and you're not screaming, there are so many different ways that someone can be raped and it all boils down to they never, like, sober and enthusiastically gave you fucking permission to have access to their body. Like, how is that consent? Like, how can somebody carry through with that? It's that they don't care. They don't care. It's that because you didn't punch them in the face and say no, it's not rape somehow. That's, we need to redefine what our understanding of rape is, uh, especially for men, because, you know, if somebody's listening to this and thinking like, oh shit, I've had these experiences, like, you know, Obviously, we all grew up in this society, including yeah. men who were carrying out things that are pretty bad. <laughs> uh, I think there has to be uh, an opportunity to, to learn and to change, but, you know, you could have really, really hurt somebody. Even just by catcalling them, like, you don't know what their past trauma is, you don't know what you're bringing up for them. Or coming on too, too sexually strong. Yep. Like, you don't... Even the, the transgressions that seem smaller are really damaging. Yeah, it's just... Also, like, I think that there's a lot of very interesting situations with uneven power dynamics. Yes. So what that means, just as an example, would be like, you're a young woman and maybe you work at like a restaurant or something and the owner or maybe your manager is an older man and he's making like sexual passes at you, um, this is an uneven power dynamic because your job is on the line, yep. this person liking you is on the line, you already view them as above you. So there's a lot of like very unhealthy situations like this that men seek out and whether they're consciously aware of it or not, it come, it's predatory. Yes. Um, it's like, you know, like incest with a parent that goes after a child, they know that they have a power over you. This is also kind of like artists that like prey on their young fans. Yeah. Um, 
uneven power dynamic. They're, um, they idolize you. You're on a pedestal. They know, the artist knows that they have that power over you. Yeah. And this is all different, like, predatory outlets for men that they use to just do whatever they want. Yeah. I feel like there's this expectation of men to, like, have sexual prowess. So men will end up, like, manipulating any situation, such as holding a high position within their workplace to obtain that sexual prowess that they've been taught is so important to them. And let's let's look like a little bit deeper into that dynamic too, like the disproportionate power. If that is the outlet that men are using to um, seek sexual partners, what does this tell you about them? Why do they have to do this where they're involved with people that are beneath them? Right. That is alarming. That is a red flag. Why aren't they doing it with someone who's at the same level as them? Why are they purposely seeking weaker, younger people um, with less power that they can abuse their boundaries easily and get away with it? This is a red flag of someone that could be a narcissist, sociopath, psychopath. Yep. And and we've almost like normalized that behavior for men. Completely. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's really terrifying. Um, Lies we are taught. Okay, so we both recently read the book, Come As You Are. Please read it. If you're a man or a woman watching yes. this, you, your mind will be blown. Is it Emily Nagoski? Oh, I can't remember. I'm so bad at remembering all their names. But uh, there will be a link to it. We also, uh, we mentioned it in our newsletter for April. But uh, the one of the most mind-blowing things for me was learning that um, not all women even have a hymen. That was one of the main points for me in the book where I was like, I looked at the book and I was like, my me whole too. life has been a fucking like, lie. This, all this time, I've always thought that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, Apparently it's just vestigial. Yeah, like, if you were born with a hymen, cool. If you weren't, apparently that is just as normal too and I never knew that my entire life. So we're taught that the first time you have sex is supposed to be painful. You're supposed to bleed. Um, None of those things happened for me, and I thought there was something wrong with me. And women, I'm 100% sure, have been killed over that. In oh, yeah. Where they, being a virgin, which de- come to find, like, oh the way God. that they tell if you're a virgin is completely false. Yeah, they're and literally they, killing women over the way that we're naturally born. Right. And, and they're killing women because they were wrong about it. Uh, this is something that I experienced through going to the gynecologist is that we are told that our cervixes have no nerve endings and therefore we don't feel pain. And I was looked at as this like freak crazy person because when I was having like um, my IUD put in and removed, I was fainting. I was in so much pain afterwards. And my gynecologist at the time was like, this is all in your head because cervixes do not have nerve endings. And I was like, how can you like rationally believe that a part of our body magically just doesn't feel anything? Right. Like, you're a fucking doctor. Right. This, what the fuck is going on? So wrong. There's the lie that all women can have orgasms from penetration. When, in reality, only 30% of women can have orgasms from penetration. Right. 
So it's like that's the way you're supposed to do it because you're supposed to use a dick for it. It's ridiculous because it takes so much emphasis off of the fact that we have clits and how amazing they can be. Right. And you actually know about them. Right. Yes. Uh, the clit is like more sensitive uh, and has more nerves even than a penis. Than the entire dick. Yeah. All pushed into that tiny little area. It's fucking dope. Be yeah. A, be a woman. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like we just, we are told just such bullshit right. about the way that our bodies work. Um, I already, we mentioned earlier, but like the every part or every time you have sex with a new person, your vagina gets wider. Absolutely no bullshit. Completely untrue. Oh my God. Kind of on the topic of the book that we read, um, something really fascinating was the, the newest research that's being done into sexuality that talks a lot about how humans have and accelerators, so when you feel turned on, um, you know, that's when your brain is making connections to things that make you feel sexy and make you feel like you want to have sex. But there's also breaks that make you feel like you don't want to have sex. It makes you feel closed off to it, like you don't want to do it. And these two systems are operating simultaneously. So even though you might be like, that's really attractive, I really like that, you could have something else in your head, like some other kind of input that's telling you like, no, 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 and then you won't feel able to have sex. Yeah, and from what I read in the book, it talks about how um, even if you have high accelerators that are activated, um, your brakes are seemingly more powerful. Yep. So you can be very turned on by a situation, the way that something looks, but let's give an example of what brakes can be. So... If you are going to have sex with a man and you find him very attractive, you know, that's an accelerator. But here's what the brakes will be. Maybe this is your first time having sex with him, so you're worried about the way that your body looks. Maybe you're worried about if he's going to give you an STD. You're worried about... Um, there's like other examples that I remember reading in the book was like mm -hmm. you're in a room and it's messy. That it can, can be messy or it could smell bad. You know, it could be uh, he played music and it's a song you don't like. Yeah, these are teeny these tiny are little things or huge things. And when they get initiated, they it almost like cancels out the accelerators that are going on, and therefore it can be really hard to get wet, to have an orgasm, even though the person that you are with is stimulating. And you're really, you could be really into it, but there's this like counter system happening to where it's just shutting everything down at the same time. Yeah. Um, and that's such an interesting new understanding because I think a lot of people can feel like something's wrong with my libido, like even though I want to do it, I'm just, I can and I don't know why. And it's uh, great information, I think, to know that that's Absolutely. normal and to kind of know what systems are at play and what's going on with that. I used to be so confused about my own sex drive because I'd be like, I don't understand why sometimes it's like scary high and then other times it completely dies down to zero mm percent. -hmm. I'm like, what is actually happening here? Yeah. But reading the book and understanding my own accelerators and brakes, the brakes definitely are very sensitive. Yes. Like, you can think that you're all about something that you're doing, but maybe in the back of your head you're worried about emotional damage coming out of it or anything like that. And immediately it has an effect on the way that your body works. Yep. So 
I think it's really important to understand what your own accelerators and brakes are so that you can create a more comfortable sexual scenario and communicate that to whoever you're deciding to have these experiences with. Yes. Um, men think that like women are just so complex sexually, but it's we're not. You just aren't taking the time to understand what makes us comfortable. Right. Um, and I think if you're going to be a man and like have sexual experiences with a woman, it's so important to understand what these little details mean to a person or else you're really not going to be have going to be have going to be having mutually satisfying sex and that should always be the goal always not just sometimes every time every single time kimchi is the main food oh my god there's other foods but this is the main one i mean are there I mean, barely. When the pizza comes out, let's dip it. Yeah. Okay, we should. <laughs> okay, so this next section is Ooh. going to be interesting, and I feel like it's probably going to be met with a lot of judgment, and honestly, I can't even blame people for having that reaction, because if I were to hear the things that we're about to talk about five, ten years ago, I would judge the shit out of what we're saying. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. Everyone's in a different place. Yep. And um, you may change your beliefs when you get older and have more experiences. So we're going to talk about unpacking your fetishes. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not necessarily that I'm saying that all fetishes are wrong or mean something else. However, it can be that. It, it very well might be that. And that's something that if you want to understand what you're into, you have to go into it with an open mind. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think this goes back to stuff we were talking about in like the first and second episode that the most important relationship you have is your relationship with yourself. And so everything about yourself, you should be, you know how when you first like fall in love with somebody and you're like, I want to know everything about them. Mm -hmm. I want to know why they feel this way. I want to know their history. I want to know like their motivations. Yep. You should be doing that with yourself too. 100%. You know, so understanding like, hmm, you know, I've had this fetish that I'm really into, but if I think about it outside a sexual scenario, it's kind of fucked up. What's going on here and what could have caused this? Yeah. Like you should be questioning these things, asking yourself the why behind it. Absolutely. Um, I used to be on the opposite side of where I'm at now, where I was very involved in the fetish BDSM community. I literally worked in the BDSM clubs. Like This was a part of my life for many years. Um, but now, looking back, I can notice some things that didn't necessarily stand out to me before. One being that Almost all of the girls who I worked with, who were involved in like a fetish lifestyle, community, whatever, almost all of them had one thing in common, and that was sexual trauma. And now that I know a lot more about psychology and have been in therapy for the last year, I'm realizing that the way that we deal with sexual trauma can be very interesting. Yes. A lot of times it does turn into fetishes. Yes. Um, it can be about recreating a power dynamic that happened to you, either from a repressed memory, from a you know sexually traumatizing experience that you very clearly remember. Um, basically, the the way that the human 
like brain and everything works is that it tries to recreate trauma. That it's we trying to relive it in order to process it and to hopefully have a better outcome because it's basically like on a loop like this terrible thing happened and I don't like the way it ended so you try to recreate it so that the ending happens differently and you feel better about it but that's not the way that it works right um so I guess we can cut this part if I don't want to keep it but um I used to be super into like dominant like aggressive men and being submissive like many years back and now I realize that it's because that's been a common theme of my life with sexually aggressive predators in my life that were men and I it was almost like this driving force where I wanted to turn every scenario into this extreme where I'm submitting to a man and I just crave like aggressive, violent yep. male dominance or even like rape-like scenarios. Yep. And when I step outside of these sexual scenarios objectively and look back, I realize that's been a common theme my whole life yeah. outside of fetishes. So it's very alarming that that is something that I'm trying to continue doing. Yeah. I used to be very into uh, like hitting and choking and... Yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, I was always really into it, but again, it's kind of like the accelerator and the brakes. Every now and then, it would just, like, resonate wrong. And, and bring would, me to tears. Yes. Yep, I would absolutely. just start crying, and it would be like, I thought I, I thought I liked this, like, oh, I don't know, like, it's okay, we'll just stop and try again next time. Why? Well, that's something that I also find interesting about the, like, fetish and BDSM world is that... You're, like, pushing boundaries. Well, not even that, but, like, there's something called aftercare that's supposed to be in place after you're violent with someone. And you really need to think, why would that be necessary? Oh, because you just psychologically damaged or terrified a person. Which, when you think about it, is exactly like the abuse cycle of your abuser yes. hurting you and then taking care of you after, which keeps you in the cycle of it. I just think the question here is if you need aftercare after sex, is it healthy? Is it healthy? If you need to be emotionally or physically coddled after having sex with someone in order to be okay, is what you're doing like good for your health? Well, and I I want to say like we can't decide that for you, but yeah, it's really yourself. important to ask yourself that. If you're involved with this stuff and afterwards you sometimes feel kind of hollow, dissociative, or you're crying, which is how I always felt, but somehow I thought that I loved it. Right. Um, I, I loved it, too. Yeah, I was like, God, this is what I want all the fucking time. And then here I am in the fetal position crying for an hour mm -hmm. afterwards. Like, something is very clearly wrong here. A lot of it for me was like like you said, like working through things that I hadn't fully acknowledged had happened to me. Yes. I think it's important to have like an understanding of human psychology to understand what could be going on. Mm -hmm. We recreate or glamorize um, trauma. Like a lot of times people can feel like extreme sexual stimulation by something that they have seen or experienced that actually traumatized them yes. as a child. And it's just your physical response to it. But instead of thinking deeper into it, we go, oh, this is just what I'm into. Yep. It's it's really important to explore that. And, you know, hopefully you're with a partner you can explore it with too, talk through it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I would talk to your partner about it and want to understand their motivations too. Because, you know, hopefully in an ideal situation, 
I I now I guess just worry like what if they're carrying out like a fucked up desire that they actually want to do like if you're with a male partner who's really into rape fantasies there's why like why is that appealing to them why is that turning them on like I really really question that and maybe maybe it's because something bad happened to them when they were a kid you know you don't yeah, know you but, never know but who knows <laughs> I think this is just my own opinion I'm throwing out there but I think men that call themselves doms are all predators I don't care I really don't care what anyone has to say about that I've had a lot of experience in that world with those types of men and they are almost always sexual predators that have just found an outlet to act out misogyny. Because think about it. Take it out of a sexual scenario. Beating women, verbally degrading them. What would we call that out of the bedroom? We would call that abuse. We would call that misogyny or reducing a woman to an object and practicing dominance over her, which is what feminists are fighting to stop in modern day society. But suddenly, if it's in the bedroom, it's o- it's okay? Yeah. I mean, I think that if you are two very healthy people that you can be like, you know what, let's roleplay something interesting tonight. However, if you are a, with a man who really can only thrive practicing dominance over a woman or being violent, this should be a red flag. Yes. There's something very strange going on if you could only be sexually stimulated by violence or putting another person down. Yes. Um, and I think too, like, I don't, I don't think you have to carry out extremes to unlock another level with your partner. Yep. And I think it can seem like that. And I definitely was like transfixed by that fantasy especially when you're younger because you want to just like do everything everything. you want to do everything taboo i've been there i did it all yeah (laughs) really Uh um so i in a weird way i kind of feel like that's like just something you go through totally like in your earlier years yes but i think as you become older and become more acquainted with your real self and like what you want out of life i just don't think that it's healthy or normal to be obsessed with wanting to rape someone or wanting to be raped. And I think that both sides of that are people that really need to possibly consider going to therapy. I also just think it's not cool. Like, I remember a time when I was like, oh my god, they probably have vanilla sex. Like, how boring are they? And now I'm like, I don't know, you can make that shit dope. Like, Yeah, (laughs) like, I don't know, I just... Whenever I see, like, girls glamorizing being submissive or, you know, men glamorizing being doms, I'm sorry, but I laugh. Yeah. Like, I just don't think there's anything cool, attractive, or anything about that. I think that you are really displaying the fact that you probably have deep psychological problems. Um, And men that call themselves doms have literally no place in my life. I actually think you're a joke of a man and you can exit at any point. Here's the door. <laughs> I show's not polarizing at all. Absolutely not. Just if you're 100%. you know a dumb man, then get the fuck out yeah. of my life because you're a joke. Newest sponsor. Guys, we're so excited to announce that we've been sponsored by kimchi. Fermented cabbage. Okay. So how to have a relationship with someone with trauma. A hundred percent it takes 
empathy, so much communication, and understanding. It really does because, honestly, I feel like this should kind of be like a default because of the statistics. Yeah. Like, what is it, one in three? Yeah. One in three women are sexually assaulted, so likely if you are a man who dates women, you're going to, at some point in your life, deal with someone who has sexual trauma. So this should kind of just be a part of what you prepare yourself for. Yeah. Because this is the world that we live in. And this can mean a range of things. I know for me, in personal experiences, I've had, like, situations uh, in the bedroom where I've accidentally, like, bumped my head on, like, a corner of a bed frame and lost my shit, you know? Yeah. Because I'm, like, I suddenly think I'm being hurt and being attacked. I personally can't have, like, hands go near my neck uh, without me making the move to do it first. Like, it needs Uh to be on my terms, my time. And if it happens outside of that, I completely shut down, freak out, throw the person off of me, and go into hysterical crying. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that if you're dating someone to... Have thorough communication about their experiences. Know each other's terms and check in, to, in with each other. I think maybe it seems, especially if you're less, maybe less experienced or just less comfortable talking through these things, but it can seem like unsexy or like it will take you out of the moment to be like, time out, is this okay? Are you into this? It's actually, it makes it more sexy because you can where you can go together and you're going to have better quality sex so that's better orgasms all around so it's not unsexy it's intelligent sex yes absolutely so absolutely like totally nothing wrong with just being like does this feel good are are you okay yep that's so big like i just i don't really think it's asking a lot i don't um i think that you have to handle um a partner who has sexual trauma with care um, you have to understand the trigger points, physical and emotional. Yep. And just understand what you can do to comfort them. Right. And just be patient and understanding. Like, yeah, it's a fucked up world that we're living in. And um, you can't erase what's happened to someone, but you can certainly help them on a journey to being able to enjoy life again. And so, speaking to other women, like, just talk to your partner, ask your partner, um, you know, don't be afraid to say like, Hey, here's kind of some lines for me. Here's some boundaries for me. Um, you know, here's some things that are like a no. Um, and as that changes, you know, keep that conversation going. And, um, you know, I mean, this kind of overlaps with other sections, but like, don't like sacrifice your own pleasure, like demand your pleasure too. In the context of needing it to be, you know, safe and comfortable. Yeah, like, don't ever be like, oh, well, this makes me uncomfortable, so I'm just not going to say anything about it. No, voice your fucking opinion, and if they're not receptive to hearing it, throw them in the trash and just leave them there. Big dicks. (laughs) We don't care about them. Okay, that's something that I feel like a lot of people are not talking about, but let's talk about the big dick myth. Um... Everyone seems to think that big dicks are the best for women and it's all women want and, you know, all of these, like, really hilarious, like, things that are said about it. Yeah. But the reality is 
that I don't really know where that started. I'm guessing porn, maybe. I feel like porn, like we were trying to figure it out earlier off camera. Maybe it's because like, if there's more, <laughs> more, maybe it helps with like camera angles. I honestly like don't understand. I have no idea. But the thing is, big dicks do not equate to bit, uh, bigger, bigger, better. To me, there's no advantage. It doesn't mean it's bad. It could be equal. But there's nothing about it that actually makes it better. It right. actually opens the door for more potential problems. Yeah. Uh, like pain. Um, damage. <laughs> yeah. Like actual physical damage being done. Um, I mean, your cervix is in there. Um, your vaginal wall can be easily torn. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting to me that we live in a society where... Women think, I also witness women saying this, that they want like a huge dick, but the actual size of a dick has very little to do with pleasure. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a somewhat known thing that's talked about that men, a lot of times that have bigger dicks, never learn how to have sex yeah. because they just go, well, I mean, this is what I've got. Here it is. And they're really bad. Y'all talking about dicks? Yes. <laughs> Did you bring pizza? Yeah. Pizza! Okay. I had a really great point about big dicks to make. Oh yeah. So since we mentioned that 30 only 30% of women climax during penetration, what is the natural conclusion we can draw about how important big dicks are? Um I just don't think that having like an excessively big dick gives you any kind of advantage with women. I think that because of porn and weird things that we say without thinking, it makes people think that, but when you're a woman who's had sexual experience over your life, you have had sex with different sized dicks and then you can evaluate like what did it actually matter. Right. And every single woman I have ever talked to in my entire life has said that the most unsatisfying sex they've had is with a guy with a really big dick. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to not, like, believe that, like, a guy having a monstrous dick is going to make him better in bed because most of the time it's not going to. Um, it doesn't really mean anything. If anything, it makes them think that they're like, you know, entitled or privileged and don't have to learn how to have sex. Right. Um, and that's not to say that guys, like some guys out there with big dicks, you know, might be really good and bad. I totally believe that. But I think we need to kind of like crush the big dick myth and just realize that um, sex is about like the experience that you have with someone like creating sexual chemistry within right. a comfort zone, understanding what really turns on an individual person that's different from person to person. Right. And, you know, having a fucking 11-inch dick doesn't magically just make all of that happen. It just, you know, it can kind of set you up to being hurt more. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's just overrated. Like, it's and not saying it's bad, but it's 100% overrated. So now we're going to move into faked orgasms. Oh, boy. Interesting concept because... I don't think men realize how often it happens, mm -hmm. and I don't think women realize that participating in it 
further creates a problem of no satisfaction for us during sex. I feel like we are taught this through porn mm-hmm. at an early age because, let's face it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with making pornographic videos, being a sex worker, or anything like that. However, almost all porn that you see is centered around the male experience and male pleasure. And it's extremely performative. It's performative, it's not educational, and it's one-sided. It's all about men getting off and women putting on the show of their life to make it look like the man is incredible when he's probably not. Right. So, based on that, seeing that, especially if you see it at a young age, like I did, Mm -hmm. um, that's what an orgasm is supposed to look like. That's what an orgasm is supposed to sound like. The way she's acting is the way it's supposed to feel. Super loud. Over the top. It happens the second that he's inside of you. It's, it's, they're really fast. (laughs) Yeah, it's really quick. (laughs) Also, like, feeds into the problem that men don't know anything about having sex with women because Mm -hmm. they're learning sex through porn, which is not real sex. They're thinking, oh, I watched this in porn. You know, I choked, that guy choked her. He spit on her. He slapped her. He fucked her really fast. And then she came and guys like at a young age are absorbing this like sponges. Yep. Thinking, oh, well, this is what I need to do when I'm, you know, having sex with a woman. That's not what you need to do when you're having sex with a woman. That's you not... need to ask her what she wants you to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because these things do not equate to female satisfaction. And the problem with a lot of porn is that there's not even room for female satisfaction. Like, when you watch right. porn, how often do you see, like, a guy go down on a woman until she actually comes? Yeah. It's very uncommon. They usually do it for about five seconds and then just shove their dick in. Totally. And this, I mean, obviously there's like other niche porn out there Mm -hmm. that has way more realistic representations of what sex is, which I think is awesome. Like, that's great. Um, But a lot of the time you see this representation of like uh, two minutes of foreplay. If any. If any If any. To like diving right on in. And she's having the time of her life. She's not. There's not, like, the only buildup a lot of times in porn, especially, like, the really stereotypical porn is, like, that man had muscles. Now I'm, I'm ready to come. It doesn't yeah. really work that way. It's really not how it works. I think there needs to be a lot more centering around female orgasms and the things that turn us on because the days of men having endless access to us to basically use our bodies to masturbate instead of, you know, creating a mutual experience. Right. These days are fucking done. Like, where the standards are higher, at least I'm hoping they are, they're at least higher with me, like, as opposed yeah. to when I was younger. Yeah. Um, don't involve yourself in a situation where it's only going to be one-sided. And you are not required to come. If you don't, it's... okay if what was going on just wasn't working for you, wasn't getting you there, or maybe it was really working for you, but you were stressed out about it, and so it didn't happen, which is kind of where I came from for a really, really long time. It was just like overthinking and being way too stressed and not feeling as comfortable as I needed to feel. Feeling pressured. I've, unfortunately, I feel like I can really speak to this one, I've unfortunately had entire relationships that lasted years where I faked it every single time. Every single time. And it's not because I didn't like the sex I was having with my partner. Because I did. But I felt in my mind like, well, 
something is off with me where I just can't, I cannot make this happen. Like it was 100% my responsibility to make it happen. And I'm like, I'm not going to ruin it. So you just want to like, just act like everything's okay so that they can be okay because you're really only caring about the other person. A hundred percent. Yeah. And this is, this is something that's not even like unheard of. Like this is like, I've, all of my female friends I've talked to have been in relationships where they've faked orgasms for really long periods of time. Like I have a relationship like way in the past where I literally never had an orgasm. And you know what? They never even asked if I did because they didn't care. Yeah. I, me too, and they never knew, I never told them, and by the point where I felt like I should tell them, I was so ashamed and didn't know how to approach it that it was one of the things where I felt like completely ruined the relationship, because yeah. I was like, this is a huge breach of trust, and this person thinks the whole time that I've been having this amazing experience, and I haven't been, and you know, that's sad, that sucks. And men are so sensitive about their egos. They're extremely sensitive about it. And I understand being sensitive about that. And, you know, it's hard because on the one... And I've also been in situations, though, where I tried to be honest and was kind of shamed. Me too! For it, which made me decide at that point, well, then I'm just going to not disclose this information anymore to men. Because they don't care when I tell them. You know, it doesn't matter either way. So, yeah. I mean, I think that whole thing is sad because you're... Essentially lying to your partner. I mean, you're lying to them. Which is really sad. It's also sad, though, because the lie comes from a place of feeling like you can't actually be honest. I felt 100% powerless to make any other choice. Like, when we... When men grow up expecting women to be that loud, that vocal, that, you know, performative, and we grow up feeling like that's the way that we need to be, if we were to have realistic sex where all that shit is cut out... What would the experience be, and would the man be able to handle the lack of noise, the lack of ego reassurance? Sometimes the lack of movement, you know, like, depending on, like, what needs to happen. For me, a lot of times, like, focusing on the performance and making it this, like, show meant that I couldn't concentrate on my own Pleasure. Yes, that's another thing. Big time. When you're focusing on doing something for someone else, especially sexually. How do I sound? How do I look? Like, is this angle good? It's hard to even sometimes feel connected to your own physical sensations. Right, And exactly. that's something that I used to experience all the time. And I'd be like, God, like, what the fuck is the point? Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole thing of, um, you know, a lot of women cannot come from penetration, which hurts men's feelings. When in reality, that shouldn't hurt their feelings. It's, it like, should just be accepted that this is not a way that I can have an orgasm. Let's explore It can other still ways. feel good, and it's great that it feels good to mm-hmm. your partner. Um, but a lot of men, uh, at least in my experience, are threatened by like sex toys. Oh they don't my want god! Yeah, anything additional coming into the bedroom, and I'm like. This is not a threat to you. But that's part of them practicing ownership over your body and what you can and cannot do, which is misogyny. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I've definitely experienced that as well. Like, super insecure partners that get mad that I own a dildo or a vibrator. And it's like, what do you expect? Like, if I... If I am not having this experience with you, why am I supposed to suffer not having experiences? Why are men comfortable with us not having sexual satisfaction? It's rooted in in misogyny. Right. And if, you know, using toys is a way to enhance your experience or for some people, it's the only way to have like the full experience and, and experience climax. If that's threatening and to the point where it can't be involved, then... 
how much do you care about your partner? Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're a guy listening to this <clears throat> and you feel threatened by sex toys, know that it's going to enable you and your partner to have a better experience. And if you are a woman who feels like you can't ask your partner to include those, you know, just start opening it up to have those conversations. Absolutely. And if someone is that threatened by sex toys, that's um, basically a malnourished ego speaking to you. And that's someone that doesn't care about you. They only care about making themselves feel better and they should be thrown in the trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not to be extreme or anything, but throw them in the fucking trash because you're never going to have a satisfying sexual experience with someone that is only focused on how hurt they are inside. I think once you get past that point, you know, where you're not like worried about faking it, worried about making it look like porn, then at that point you can be with your partner like, let's see how hard we can make each other come, (laughs) you know, and then it's exciting. Alrighty. is that something I've learned is um, mentally healthy people have more satisfying sexual lives. So if you are dealing with, you know, undiagnosed, untreated mental problems within yourself or your partner is, this is going to lead to sexual dysfunction in your relationship. Mm -hmm. And if you can both get to a healthier place, you're more likely to engage in mutually satisfying sex. Yes. Go to therapy. Go to therapy. We kind of already touched on it, but yeah. um, there's internal, external orgasms. There's orgasms with no stimulation that's physical at all. You can have orgasms from your nipples. Like, you can have orgasms from thoughts. You can have multiple <laughs> orgasms, which is so tight. You can have combined of all those things. Uh-huh. And that's, that's a pretty female woman experience, Mm -hmm. which is cool. We actually can have stronger orgasms than men can have. We can also have multiple orgasms. A lot of people think that multiple orgasms are solely like a woman's experience, but actually men can learn how to have multiple orgasms as well. Um, They have to look into something called edging, Mm -hmm. which you should be looking into anyway because it will make you last a lot longer in bed, which is a common problem with like literally every heterosexual sexual dynamic. Um, But yeah, there's just, there's a whole world of things that you can experience once you're open to having the experience, you're willing to try new things and be honest and communicate with your partner. Yeah. Okay, objectification. So, kind of touched on it with porn, but movies, television, even songs, books, um, basically every form of media that we consume, Instagram, um, it all objectifies women. All of it does, and we also self-objectify ourselves because it's been so normalized. Yes. So self-objectification is when you start to see yourself as a collection of body parts, especially a collection of sexual body parts, um, instead of seeing yourself as a whole person. And then you become obsessed with just being attractive or sexually desirable, 
<clears throat> instead of being like an intelligent, well-rounded whole person, so you just kind of display yourself or advertise yourself in a way where you're only showing your body parts. You can see this manifested as um, photographs of women without their head in it or with their yes. head completely obscured by their <clears throat> cell phone. Yep. Um, you can see it in movies and TV uh, where you don't see their face or their face is obscured. And also there's entire characters that are invented just to be mm -hmm. sex objects. That's a problem because it affects us psychologically. And when you start doing this to yourself, it makes it really tough to value yourself outside of sexuality. Think about <clears throat> um, comic books, the way that like females are drawn in that. You can see their ass and their tits. At the same time, because they literally draw them as having like this snake body to where you can see their ass at the side while their boobs are at the front. And they have like impossible hourglass figures and this bleeds over into like cosplay and like all mm -hmm. just sorts of like super weird shit. Um, think about like scrolling Instagram, like a, a woman whose entire account is just photos of her showing um, only her tits. Like her head's not even yeah. in it. Like th these are real things that exist and that is what that is. There's no way to like sugarcoat it, but that's objectification. Men are centered in literally everything and I think that we should be working towards decentering men. Yes, absolutely. Not saying that those photos are bad or you know what makes a woman feel good about herself is not okay, but again, it's kind of like we said, you should just be thinking about everything and understanding like the origin of everything. And there's when we're talking about objectification, look at the way that men behave on social media. Like we kind of went over that in our social media episode, but like men that are following or interacting with nothing but women that are just self-objectifying themselves. Yes, it's because that's, you can tell a lot about the man because that's what he's showing you where his interests are. Yes. He's interested in women that self-objectify themselves and he's probably a misogynist. And I just think this self-objectification self thing is, again, like a newer problem because we are all armed with pretty powerful cameras at this point. Yes. So we can all do this to ourselves and at the same time have that reinforced by all the other women we see doing it to themselves. Um, Objectification is a huge problem in the art community as well because as a female artist, I feel like if I post my work and there's any part of my skin showing, that's all that men focus on and that's misogyny. There's, mm -hmm. I know that we use misogyny a lot, but it, that's because that's how common it is. Like men look at art that women make and put out of themselves instead of seeing it for the whole picture what it is the mood the feeling all they're zooming in on is, body is parts. the body parts that's misogyny and it's not saying men are not allowed to be sexually attracted to the female form or women you totally are we are attracted to men yep but the difference is I don't automatically see a photo of like a shirtless guy or a guy showing more skin and immediately only think of him as like a sex object. I can look at the whole mood, the feeling, the message being displayed. Right. Um, and so it creates this very interesting scenario where as a woman, you get upset because you're objectified by men whenever you're creating art, but also if you cover up, they completely overlook you. Yeah, and that is the biggest example I can give of pure misogyny. Pure. 
And men don't have to do the same things to get attention from women. No, they they literally don't have to do next to anything. They just simply exist. Right. Alcohol and sex. So, I've definitely experienced it and seen it happen with other people, but um, it can be... Because there's so much shame in sex and so much um, insecurity, it can feel a lot easier to do it if you are drinking or sponsor Guinness. Um, And, I mean... Why is that? Why do we have to feel like we have to loosen up, uh, let go of some inhibitions before we can feel comfortable sexually with someone? It's because we have so much sexual shame and we don't feel comfortable just being our own sexual beings because we've been shamed our entire existence as women for being sexual. Right. We're either not sexual enough or we're too sexual, whatever the issue is, but I see this with so many women that, you know, have to drink before having sex. And I say that because I used to be one of them. Like, I think I went to like seven years without having sober sex. Wow. And it's because I just didn't feel comfortable in my own body and in my own experience with the people I was choosing to sleep with. Um, And it took like meeting someone that I felt comfortable with and I just didn't feel like they would, like, I didn't fear them physically hurting me. Um, and I also trusted them more, like, I don't know, it's just, yeah, it's interesting, because so I can t- totally understand why women do it, because I lived that life for so long, Yeah. Um, but I just think that sober sex is the only time that you can really know that you're not acting in a weird, extreme way, um, and that you are being fully present with someone. Yeah, Absolutely. And then there's the whole other side of that where alcohol is used, almost weaponized oh, by absolutely. men to take advantage of women. Or almost in this casual way that it's become extremely accepted by society. Can I buy you a drink? Can I buy you a, f- a few drinks? Can I buy you drinks until I become attractive and you want to say yes to coming home with me? Meanwhile, I'm not really drinking or maybe I've only had one drink, but I'm going to make sure that you've had six to seven so I can fuck you. Yeah. That's rape. That's rape. You're literally planning to take someone out of their natural state of mind so that they might consider giving you access to their body. You're a rapist. Because it's, it's that serious and it's there's no other way around it. That is true. And that is just one of many things that have to change and have to it has to stop being acceptable. Absolutely. And and that's such a normal and overlooked thing. And men, you should not be comfortable having sex with a woman that is so much more intoxicated than you are. Like, you should not be okay with that. Like, where is your sense of morality? Where's your dignity? Oh, wait. Where is it? It's gone. Just like you. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) See ya. So how to have, like, what is, what are the important things to have in place in order to have good sex is basically what this is. Yeah, because... So it starts with pizza. Starts with pizza! And kimchi, our Um, So, sex can actually be this, like, mind-blowing, even spiritual experience. So I know we just spent, like, a good portion of the show talking about bad sexual experiences, but I think it's important to also lay out there... We've had, like, amazing sexual experiences. So, I mean, there's definitely been a lot, a lot, a lot of bad... Leading up to the good. 
mm-hmm. but sex can be like indescribable um you can basically like see into someone's soul and i know that like not feel so connected to them not everyone has sex like that and that's totally fine like you can just have sex from like a lustful perspective and that's totally okay but it's what i have called soul fucking (laughs) um where you basically like don't even see someone as they're like physical exterior yeah and like your inner soul is looking into their inner soul and you can't even hide anything from them and you're like just uniting in this weird energy force where you don't even feel like you're on like physical earth anymore and that is something I always thought was like made up and you know a romanticized thing until I experienced it and I didn't even know how to process what had happened I would say that it's like the one time that I feel like it's good to feel like you are one with your partner absolutely because it feels like you're like your essence your soul is intertwined each other yeah it's beautiful and i feel like it's the strongest form of intimacy and i feel like you can form like the most unbreakable bonds with someone with that level of raw intimacy yes but in order to get to that point that's kind of what we're going to like talk about is you can create an amazing sex life for yourself with another person but they need to have certain like requirements as like the security foundation uh the first one being communication you just have to talk about how you're feeling you have to talk about what's good what's not what is almost good your sexual boundaries yeah um where you're at emotionally bleeds over into your sex life whether people want to admit it or not it can lead to not feeling comfortable it can lead to not being able to have an orgasm yep it can lead to just not being able to have that super connected sex so emotional issues that could be going on is almost like the screensaver in the back of your head have to be addressed and that's where communication comes in yeah um, and you just have to understand that even though we're kind of told that it will be magical or we feel like it should be magical, it's not going to just instantly be magical. You can have a ton of chemistry with somebody <clears throat> and it could be like pretty good, but usually, especially the first few times you're intimate with somebody, like yeah. it's just going to take work and communication to improve on it until it is that magical incredible connection it's honestly like a learning curve yeah you have to learn together because it doesn't matter how many people you've been with or if you your last partner thought that you were so good that doesn't equate to having that same type of connection with the next person it's very like case by case yes so you have to be willing to kind of build with the person and if you're not then you're probably just not going to have great sex yeah it's completely true Um, And then just building a level of intimacy and comfort with that person, which I think comes from being vulnerable. Absolutely. Um, You know, the things that you're going to have to be communicating about, (laughs) it's going to take a level of vulnerability to open up and talk about those things. And by doing that, you will create that deeper level of intimacy and that, uh, like, better comfort. It's really important to communicate the things that you do and you don't like, and I know that can be hard when you start because you don't want to, like, hurt someone's feelings or you kind of feel like you're walking on eggshells when it comes to sex, but you really need to be able to tell someone, like, hey, I really like when we fuck this way, but I'm really not into this or not as much into this, or when you do this one thing, it kind of makes me feel weird, or these are things that need to be communicated because that there needs to be, like, a shared 
knowledge yep. on how the experience is for each other so that you can build an experience together. And you have to be receptive to the same feedback from your partner too. Absolutely. And that can be really hard sometimes because we're all kind of like fragile when it comes to sex because of the weird ass way that society has raised us to be. I just think the best way to go into a new sexual relationship is like right off the bat be like, tell me what you're into, tell me what you're not into. And then when we do things together, tell me what you do and you don't like yep. so that we don't have repeat awkward experiences. Completely. Yeah. I think that's the formula. So birth control is an interesting area of sex um, because it's most a- people that are having sex are not trying to have children right. while they're having sex. Right. Um, <clears throat> and because of the type of society that we are in, it falls on women to provide the type of birth control that is the most efficient. Usually <clears throat> it's in the form of the pill, the shot, an IUD, yep. you know, the NuvaRing, like all sorts of things. And it puts all of the responsibility on the woman to change her body chemistry, to go through all sorts of like really terrible side effects, all so that a guy doesn't have to wear a condom. Yeah, it's a lot because it hormonally affects us. Um, it can affect affect us physically as well. It can change your skin. It can make you gain or lose weight. Because it affects your hormones, it can affect. Uh, it can give you mood swings. Um, it can make you like. When I was on the pill, I felt really angry all the time. Yeah, like really angry all the time. <clears throat> uh, my first time with birth control was with the patch, which mm. is high dose hormones. Yeah, I was sixteen or seventeen, and within four or five weeks of being on it, I was in a mental institution to be evaluated because I didn't know what happened to me. I went from feeling like you know my normal self to all of a sudden thinking about killing myself. Gosh, and it was literally the birth control, and I kind of pieced that together. I took the patch off, and within a week or two, I was completely fine. Meanwhile, in other countries, there are clinical trials that are extremely successful of male birth control that is non-hormonal, that is 99.9% effective, and totally reversible. That's the thing is, like, men are so used to us bearing the burden of providing the birth control and they expect us to regardless of how it affects our body regardless of how it affects our mental health even though there's a suicide rate associated with taking birth control right um and it's it's just another example of sexism and misogyny where we are expected to do something we have to take the full responsibility the risks associated with us don't matter on one hand i feel like as a woman there's kind of a good side to being on birth control because then you are being responsible because a lot of times you just can't trust men to be responsible they aren't really socialized to be right um so that can be good if you're making that decision on your own Um, but from my perspective, I've tried every form of birth control and I've had an issue with every single one of them. The final one being IUDs and I had mine removed last year and I don't plan on ever getting on birth control for the rest of my life. Like I have tortured my body enough. I have jeopardized my mental health. It's time for men to step up and do something instead of it being one-sided. So like wrap your dick or get... A fucking vasectomy because I'm out. Like <laughs> I put my time in, my body's done. 
Um, I will say I highly, highly recommend using uh, like an app on your phone to track your menstrual cycle. Yep. Um, this will track not only when you are due to get your period, but it will track when you're fertile. Um, it will tell you when you're ovulating. Very it important. helps you be really in touch with your body too because you can recognize random pains as actually being ovulation pain. That will be really helpful uh, just for your sexual health and well-being and being responsible for yourself. Um, knowing when you're at a greater uh, chance of becoming pregnant and just being in touch with your cycle. It also makes your um, your mood and everything going on with you make a lot more sense when you can know exactly where you're at in your cycle. I'm having a bad day. I'm really emotional. I can't handle anything right now. And then you look at your app and you're like, oh, I'm starting my period in two days. Like It can help you gain perspective on... Um, some things like it's hard to manage the way like hormonal changes in your body make you feel. That's something that's like a whole nother subject in itself is that like, you know, I think that men overlook how hard it is to be a woman because we actually have hormone fluctuations every single month, how hard PMS can be, yeah. the way that ovulation even affects your body. Like I feel wild during my ovulation yeah. week. Um, it's like, I feel like a completely different person. And then when I'm PMSing, I feel absolutely terrible. Yep. And I just think that like men should really like think about these things, um, and be more understanding because it's not, these are things that you never have to deal with. You have a privilege in this way, um, and try to be more just empathetic. Yeah. And realize that sex is two people involved and the responsibility should not fall on a woman to jeopardize her body or her mental health in order to not have children. So we did a like a questions thing on our story um, saying that we'll answer like, you know, sex questions don't hold back. So all these are going to be anonymous. Um, a lot of the questions that we got asked, we actually ended up covering. Yep. Like the majority of them. So we're just going to kind of go over some ones that we don't really feel like maybe we covered. Um, so we got, is it, a po is it possible for a woman to not like the sensation of vibrators? Super possible. Yeah. Um, some women are extremely sensitive, so it could be painful. I've also, um, there's a, a YouTube channel that I watch sometimes called Sexplanations, um, where a sex therapist just makes little educational videos. It's really good. And she uh, can't use them because it hurts her hands. Yeah, if those those things don't work for you, there's you know toys that don't vibrate, or you don't have to use toys at all. And some people even masturbate over their underwear mm -hmm. if it's like too sensitive. So no, like that don't feel like there's anything wrong with you if that's you. Just remember that we're all different. Okay, so we got a question that says, "What do you do if you have difficulty getting things like dildos, penis, etc., in your vagina?" So, I mean, I would definitely say take things slow. Like, yes. You do not want to hurt yourself. So, you know, if you need to use something smaller initially. Yeah. And do not be, like, put off by using lube. Like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you if you don't even get that wet. Like, that's right. another popular misconception. Yeah. Is that all women are super wet when they're turned on. Some women, even when they're the most turned on, don't get very wet. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say lubrication is, like, key because that's also going to be a changing factor in hurting yourself or not. Yes. And and it should never be painful. If it is painful, yes, that's stop. Yes, so important. Sex should never be painful. Mm -mm. It's not a bragging point. It's not something you want. 
it's not good if it's painful. Yeah, and if it continues to be painful, uh, I would definitely talk to a doctor. Yeah, because there can be other stuff going on. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, are blowjobs unpleasant to give? It's different for everybody. It is totally different for everyone. Um, I would say it's even different with different partners. Absolutely. Um, you might love it with one person, and with another person, you're just not into it. Yeah, like a lot of these things, like we can really only speak from like our experience because the way that we feel about it may not be how you feel about it or someone else feels about it. But like giving sexual satisfaction to your partner for me is really awesome yeah. when you feel safe and comfortable with them. Yeah. And if you don't, then I just don't like doing it. Yep. Agreed. Is sex something you should just do it with whoever or wait? Um, I really think it's totally up to you. I think you should spend time um, asking yourself what is important. Like, do you feel like you want to wait for that, like, right person? Or do you feel like, I just want to experience this? Uh, and, you know, whichever answer it ends up being for you, again, just make sure you're being safe. Uh, yes. You know, use protection. Yes, use um, protection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, make sure you're comfortable with whatever partner you do choose. There is nothing wrong with waiting for the right person. Um, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, the, the person it is isn't as important to me as just having this experience and exploring this. Yeah, like that's another thing is I think that people get so hung up on losing their virginity uh, to like in this magical, like dumb, romanticized way. Yeah. <laughs> but that is part of toxic romanticism is feeling like the first time you have sex with someone when you're young is supposed to be this amazing, life-changing event when I've literally never even heard of a woman talk about losing their virginity and having it be, like, a pleasant, magical thing. No. Like, it sucks. Yeah. Like... Pretty much sucks. If you want to just do it for the sake of doing it, do it and, like, don't hold shame about it. Like, right. Like, it's just... I think you just have to stop making sex to be this over-the-top magical thing. Yeah. It is sometimes and it is in other times. What's the weirdest thing someone has asked you to do? Oh, man. What is your favorite sex position? I think it changes based on my mood, but I think I have like default ones that I rotate through. Yeah. I feel like there was a time in my life where it seemed more important to be like really creative with positions. Yeah. Um, and again, kind of like being performative and all that. Um, but now I'm like, eh, these top three feel the best. Honestly, I'm pretty into missionary, which is boring, but I think it's great. I am too. I really like it a lot. Um, you know, being like the person who used to do everything for shock value and to be extreme. Like, I've already experienced it all. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I like, like, spooning sex. Like, it's just great. <laughs> <laughs> so my friend told me girls do not have orgasms. Well, I think we just clearly covered that in the show that that is not true. It's not true. And I don't know who your friend is, but they're really not understanding anything about women. Yep. How do you both feel about threesomes? Super into it, but we get hate for it. Okay, so objectively speaking, <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with having a threesome as long as both people are on board with it, like the the two partners are completely comfortable. It's not one pressuring the other into it. Um, I think that's fine. Yep. 
I think there has to be, again, it goes back to communication, you know, and not just wanting it, but understanding why you want it and yes. talking about like, what's the worst case scenario outcome of this? And is it a risk for us? And if it is a risk, is it worth taking that with our relationship? Absolutely. Like if you feel like doing it has the possibility of weird feelings afterwards or trust issues or anything like that going forward, like you have to ask yourself, is your relationship worth gambling for that? Just for right. a sexual experience. Yep. And if you feel like it won't cause those kinds of issues, then I definitely think it's something that you can explore and enjoy. Um, but I do think that it can be complicated. <laughs> it can be, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. How do you tell your partner you don't like doing a particular thing that they really like? Just be like, like, fucking quit it. No, you really just have to tell them. Yeah. Like, I mean, just don't, I mean, people are self-conscious. So if you're feeling self-conscious, they probably are too. You know, a lot of the time they will be. So, or maybe it's the first time they're ever being told that what they're doing is not good. So maybe it's going to be completely shocking news to them. So just tell them because the longer you put it off, the, the harder that conversation gets. Because if you've been not telling them for six months, then it's going to hurt even more. So it's important to tell them, you know, right away. <laughs> um, immediate feedback is better. Um, just go about it with some tact because yeah, remember the people are really sensitive be kind it. you know you don't have to say wow you suck or that doesn't feel good at all you can say like hey actually you know let's try this a little bit differently or like or, for some reason this thing kind of feels weird to me so let's just not do it yep how come it seems like all guys want to sex i find there's no emotional side anymore um i mean this is a huge problem with living in a patriarchy with so much misogyny is that men are viewing women as just sexual objects um and they're also like encouraged to be overly sexual and yep. things like that and that's why this behavior we see it everywhere and it's really annoying we're also in a world of dating apps where it's very easy yes. to just meet people uh you know a few times um have hookups and just move on and there's always a next person out there yeah so there's less incentive to start making an emotional investment when you can just keep swiping to more and more people. If you're around men that seem like that, like, just don't, you know, get involved with them. Like, I'm not gonna be here to not all men the situation, cause that's not me, but um, those types of men that you're describing, if that doesn't line up with what you want, just fucking ditch them. Can you get pregnant in water? You can get pregnant anywhere. Yeah. There's literally like all these myths about like, oh, if you do it this way and in this position and upside down, you can still get pregnant. Um, when to see a doctor after unprotected sex? This is a really good question. Yeah. Um, so not just unprotected sex, but every time you have a new sexual partner, you should go into it requiring them to give you paperwork that they've been tested yes. very recently. And yes. even after you have sex with them, um, I think the waiting period is two weeks. I believe two weeks. Um, it's really important, especially for women. Um, HPV is really, really common. Over 70% of men carry HPV and show zero symptoms, and they will give it to you. Yeah, so they have no symptoms, so they will not know they have it, but most of them have it. Um, and then if they give it to you, it can develop into cancer and can become you know, a much worse problem. Uh, it's pretty serious, but the problem is that 
Um, because men cannot be tested for it. They are just walking around giving it to yes. everyone. Yeah. Um, and basically, like, if your partner has had sex with more than three people unprotected, they statistically have HPV. Right. So it's just important to be on top of it with every new partner that you introduce. Just make sure you're getting things checked out. And, you know, I mean, the good news is they can test really, you know, find all that stuff out and make sure they're taking preventative measures and helping you if you do get it, uh, which, is, again, is really common. Uh, best form of protection? I mean, condoms are extremely convenient. Um, there's great vegan natural brands that you can use that aren't irritating and don't create a lot of like unpleasant feeling. I mean, and weird smells like some yes. condoms smell so gross. Nasty. Um, yeah, so definitely condoms. And this is another thing I guess we can touch on is like, um, if you are ever with someone that is trying to talk you out of having protected sex or tries to make you feel weird about the fact that you want to and tries to be like, I don't have anything. This is someone who's very irresponsible, childlike, and doesn't respect your body yep. because it doesn't matter how many sexual partners you've had, you can still be passing on STDs. And if someone is responsible, yeah. they would be opting to have protected sex. Correct. So anyone that just dives into sex and tries to just go about it without protection is someone that is really mentally stunted. And I mean, you can feel like, oh, well, then you have to tear open this package and da 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 it takes you out of the moment. It's not sexy. No, it's completely fucking sexy to protect yourself and respect your body and your partner's body. Again, showing that you're intelligent is attractive. Showing that you don't give a fuck and don't know anything about normal world statistics of STDs makes you look like a fool. Yep. Could y'all explain the differences between the vag and the labia? So the vagina's the inside of your anatomy. Yes. Um, and then the labia, there's actually two, there's majora and minora, so the majora is like the outer part. Yeah. And then there's an inner part, which could be all different sizes and all different colors, and that's the minora. Yeah. Um, a lot of, like, it's a weird cultural thing to use the word vagina incorrectly. I catch myself doing it too. I do too. I'm trying not to. I know. It sucks. Um. You should say vulva to refer to the outside yeah, part. Yeah. Your vagina is just the inside part of you. What are your thoughts about kids having sex? I mean, my personal opinion is that that's just what happens. Yeah. Like, you, you become interested in sexual things that around a certain age group and you do it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, think, I don't think there's anything wrong with exploring your body and your sexuality. Um, the only thing I would say going into that is to not expect to have, like, wild great satisfying experiences that's something that comes with time and practice yeah it really takes time it really takes practice uh and i would say also when you're younger uh in my experience especially it's just like that's when it's the easiest to run into people who don't want to use protection and don't want to concern themselves with things that responsible adults typically just understand that you have to care about. And be aware of predatory behavior because when you're young, you're a bigger subject for people that, you know, are, like we talked about earlier, disproportionate power dynamics, um, taking advantage of you because you're naive, because you have weaker boundaries, mental health problems. These are all red flags for predators. Right. And I would say, you know, just get some basic understanding about your body, your anatomy, and about sex itself, and just make sure that you are being safe. And also, 
don't feel like you have to do it just no. because other people are. And that, yeah, like if you don't feel comfortable or you don't want to, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. And I promise you, especially if you're young, you're not missing out on anything nothing. magical. Like, you won't remember. <laughs> Seriously, like when I think back to like being a teenager and having sex and like it's it's like funny at yeah. this point because we think that like we know what we're doing and all this stuff and it's really not good. Because right. how can it be good? You don't know what you're doing. Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, if you don't want to, don't do it. Yep. You're going to be fine and you're not missing out. Yep. <laughs> Is that all of them? Yeah. Wow. All the because we covered everything else. Yeah, we did. Okay, we did it. That was our sex episode. Do you think there's anything we left off? I don't think so. Let us know in the comments below. <laughs> yeah, you I do. Mean, I guess. Yeah, that's it. So sex is great. It can be. But also terrible. Um, as with most things. Yeah. And um, it's important to realize that as a woman you're going into a lot of scenarios where your benefit is not even outlined right. sometimes. Like it's not even a thought. So use your time and your body strategically. Yep. And don't do too much. You don't have to. You don't have to. <laughs> um, and just communicate, talk, and if you're in a scenario that is not conducive to that, just get out. Yeah. Get out of it. And men that may be watching this realize that you probably were not raised or shown proper things to understand anything about the female experience during sex and the only way that you can know is to ask questions yeah stop taking tips from porn you are not good in bed replicating that stuff no. it's not good it's bad it's annoying so that's episode five the sex episode the sex episode uh hope you guys enjoyed um thanks for watching and listening thanks for submitting the questions absolutely um if you want to support the show uh please share it with people who please. you think would be interested uh that's the best way to help us um you can also donate to us by going to gssw.show.com slash support thanks thank you bye, bye. i thought i could click to <laughs> Click, click, done. Why doesn't this mouse work? <laughs>